back to the David Glenn Show. We were there in Charlotte. It was Clemson 62, UVA 17 in the ACC title game. Big tailgate tour came to a thrilling conclusion in some ways, a boring one in other ways. 13-0 Tigers, of course, will represent the ACC in the college football playoff. The ACC and the SEC are the only two leagues that have never missed a college football playoff. This is year six of that format. As we bring in our next guest, Roddy Jones, former Georgia Tech star running back and team captain, nowadays an outstanding college football analyst for ESPN and the ACC Network. As we all look forward to LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, all 13-0, remember, all conference champions, the Oklahoma Sooners at 12-1, beat Baylor to take the Big 12's title, and they, once again, will be in the Final Four, led by Lincoln Riley, another guy we know well. Uh, Roddy Jones, was this as easy as any week? the college football playoff committee has ever had given the way the dominoes fell this time i, I absolutely think so especially uh after that result on friday night in the pac-12 with utah getting beat by oregon it's pretty simple if the favorites all won then the winner of the big 12 was going to get in uh and i don't think there was much debate about that some people were saying that you know you could have had another team sneak in above baylor but i don't think that would have going to happen a one-loss conference champion in this climate with what we were dealing with uh, this year, I thought it was a shoe-in. So uh, the biggest decision the committee had to make was who was going to be one and who was going to be two because the other slots were basically taken, uh, and they took the not easy route by switching Ohio State and LSU and setting up a monster matchup with Ohio State and Clemson in the semifinals. Did you have any problem with the order? And for those who don't know, it was LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Oklahoma 4. Of course, what matters most is who got in. But 1, 2, 3, 4, of course, determines what you got to deal with. And I think the Sooners are regarded as the fourth of the four. Uh, what did you think of LSU being elevated to number one over the Buckeyes and the Tigers? I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Um, I didn't have any problem with it. I wouldn't have had any problem had they left it the other way. Yeah. The, the, the margins between these two teams, uh, and, and you can throw Clemson in there to some extent with the on the field product. The resume certainly doesn't stack up to the other two, but the margin between these two teams is so razor thin. And what people have to understand is that each week that the committee walks in there, they do it with a blank slate. Like we all go in with the oh well, this happened previously, so. Um, you know, you, you, when you tack that on to, 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 to the end of the year, that, that should change things. The committee really starts at zero. They put up brand-new resumes each week with these two teams, and without thinking about where they were a week ago, they rank them. And then when they get to the end, they say, okay, where did we have these teams last week? Are we okay? Do we have justifiable reasons for this? Or was it just an oversight through the voting process? Um, so I think when you stack up, what, what LSU did in the championship game against Georgia and add it to all the rest of the things that they did uh, over the course of the season and what Ohio State did against Wisconsin, we don't know how it affected all of the metrics that, that the committee looks at, but I can assure you it, it certainly would push LSU over the top, in my opinion, because it's the number four team in the country, and you absolutely dominated. I mean, there was no doubt in that game once LSU reached 14 points that they were going to win. It was just a matter of how big. Uh, and Ohio State had to fight for it a little bit more, so I didn't have any problem with it. Roddy Jones is joining us on Twitter. He is at Roddy Jones 20. Just think of the number he was wearing while being a superstar for Georgia Tech. Follow him on Twitter at Roddy Jones 20. Uh, I vote in various awards, ACC and nationally, 
And when I think of the four coaches who led these four stories that will end in the playoff, I, I want to give them all some kind of an award, right? I mean, Eddie O takes LSU where they've never been before. I know they've won the national championship, but they've never been in the college football playoff in this six years of the format. It ain't easy to be perfect, and Dabo just led a 13-0 the year after he went 15-0. Lincoln Riley is now 3-for-3 three three in leading Oklahoma to the playoff as the head coach of the Sooners. Can't do better than 3-for-3 three three if you've only been there three years. And Ryan Day basically answered the no Urban Meyer, no problem question, you know, at Ohio State. Did, did any of those four jump out to you as, uh, you know, they were four of the preseason favorites, but, man, those were four pretty amazing journeys to get here. They, they were fantastic. Ed Ogeron's the one that stands out to me because of uh, his identification that they needed to change. And ultimately, they changed drastically on the offensive side of the football and have been one of the most prolific offenses that we've ever seen and gotten them to the point where they slay Alabama uh, and, and get to the college football playoff. And, and against the schedule, that was tough. I mean, remember that road game at Texas was looked at as a really tough one just uh, at the beginning of the season. They had to play Florida. They had to play Auburn. Um, they obviously played Georgia in the SEC championship game. They had to go to Alabama. That was the schedule at the beginning of the year that we looked at and said, hey, this is going to be pretty tough, and it ended up being it. Uh, but through it all, they were highly consistent on the offensive side of the football, had some ups and downs defensively, but they got healthy, uh, performed much better the last two weeks. So he's really the one that stands out to me. Uh, and then after him, I, I like what those three guys after him did, but I think Matt Rule at Baylor is number yeah. two for me with what he did throughout that season. I mean, that team was, was on the brink of extinction a couple of times in some games, and, yeah, they got a couple of fortunate calls uh, down the stretch, but the, the the job that he did at Baylor was absolutely fantastic. But you're, you're right. I mean, all of these coaches deserve some measure of postseason award because it's incredible. One thing I've noticed after three decades in this business is that the coaches I've gotten to know better will say a lot of things off the record in private that they would never, ever say in a press conference. And I'm, I'm thinking of the coaching carousel as I ask you this next question. When Eli Drinkwitz got to App State less than one year ago, he said all the right things, of course, and I don't blame him for saying, hey, this is not a stepping stone job, and I consider it a top 25 job nationally, and, you know, my family and I want to make a home here, and we want to build something sustainable. And, of course, you know, less than a year later, he does lead the Mountaineers to the Sun Belt title, uh, but he's off to Missouri of the SEC, and he's making, you know, five times almost what he was making at App State. What is your bottom line as you communicate with coaches are most of these guys, you know, more hired gun off to the highest bidder uh, than they are, you know, deep-rooted, sentimental family men? Uh, there may be exceptions here and there, but, but what's your bottom line as, as you've seen that side of this industry during your time in broadcasting? I get the feeling that 95% of coaches that you meet, um, for the right price, they'll go just about anywhere. Yeah. Uh, now, some of them are sensible enough to turn down jobs where they don't think they'll be successful. Uh, I think a Pat Narduzzi, when he got to Pitt, he had a job offers all over the place. But he said, I don't fit at those places. I fit at Pitt. And it's because of X, Y, and Z. My dad coached at Youngstown. I grew up Northeast Ohio. You know, all of these reasons. 
um, and, and Pitt just was that that uh, that place. Look at Jeff Scott, reportedly at Clemson, taking the uh, taking the South Florida job. That's a place where he fit. His dad coached at Florida State for a long time. Now he's on the staff at Clemson, and probably encouraged him to take it. It's one of the top group of five jobs in the country. Um, the thing with Eli Drinkwitz that that's fortunate for him. I mean, obviously Scott Satterfield, having been there a long time, and I had a really honest conversation with Coach Stat when he was at App State. Uh, and, and basically, it comes down to when you get offered that amount of money, it may not be life-changing money for most of these coaches. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz making five times more, that's a ton. But, yeah. but when you look at what Coach Satterfield was making, he was making good money at App State. So making an extra $2 million doesn't totally change his life. But you look at your coordinators who make you know, maybe six figures at an App State. They go to Missouri, and they're going to make half a million dollars. Right. That's a monster difference. So you're having to look out for those guys, too. Um, but but Eli Drinkwood's uh, journey at App State doesn't feel right, but you can kind of see it coming. I mean, that was the best App State team that he's going to have. Uh, and, and I say that because Scott Satterfield left that team absolutely loaded. It was ready to go, playmakers all over the field, experience, uh, and, and it, was a, it was a ready-made champion. And so he struck while the iron was hot. And, and honestly, when you see the number that he got at Missouri, you can't really blame him. You can be mad at him a little bit, but, I mean, if you got offered a bump from, you know, right around a million to over $4 million, I mean, come on, man. You can't really blame it, dude. I'm with you on that. Roddy Jones is joining us from ESPN. Of course, the coaching carousel spins in the ACC as well. Mike Norvell of Memphis takes the Florida State job over the weekend. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I have some thoughts, but I'm not sure where Boston College is going after letting Steve Adazio go. What do you know about the newest face on the ACC coaching carousel, Mike Norvell, given that, you know, after the enormous success of Bobby Bowden, and a lot of people forget, they also won a national title under that Jimbo Fisher guy before he left for Texas A&M. The Willie Taggart experiment turned out to be uh, a debacle in some ways. What do you know about Mike Norvell and or the uh, the Boston College coaching search that continues? So I'll, I'll start with Coach Norvell. Uh, the past two years before the ACC Network launched, I moved over doing exclusively ACC games. Uh, I was on a package that did a lot of Americans. So I actually right. did uh, three Memphis games over, uh, uh, over the last two years, not this past year, but the two years before. So I got to see his team up close and personal. Um, his offense is one of my absolute favorite to watch. A few years ago, when he and Scott Frost were in the uh, were in the American, those two offenses were the ones that I enjoyed watching the most because they were run first offenses that had really clean, easy to understand, but they used a lot of window dressing uh, in their run schemes to run the football and were very successful at that. And then the passing game worked off of it. It was uh, very simple in its concepts. But when you add uh, window dressings, motion, shifts, formations to it, it can look very complicated. So it let guys play fast because they understand what they're doing, but it made defenses have to adjust on the fly. So I absolutely loved what he was doing there. And I think it's a great fit for Florida State, the guy that's got great recruiting ties in Florida. Uh, and the success that he has had identifying talent on his coaching staff has been incredible. He lost nine coaches over the course of his time at Memphis, so basically SEC jobs, almost exclusively. I mean, you look at his first defensive coordinator, Chip, uh, excuse me, first offensive coordinator, Chip Long, went to Notre Dame to be the offensive coordinator. His second offensive coordinator went to Texas A&M. His third offensive mm. coordinator went to Auburn. So he's just having all these guys picked away by the SEC. 
um, and, and the Big Ten. I mean, he had, a, he had a special teams coordinator go to Penn State. It's just incredible when you look at those coaches. So it's, it's logical to think some of those guys will go and join him. It's already been reported that Kenny Dillingham, the 31-year, I think he's 30 or 31-year-old offensive coordinator for Auburn, is rejoining Mike Norvell uh, after being his offensive coordinator a year ago. So he's going to be a – he's going to assemble one heck of a staff. He's going to go through the process of developing quarterbacks. Offensively, he does a great job of getting his playmakers the ball where they are most effective. If you don't believe me, just go look at the stats of his receivers and running backs over the last four seasons. It's stunning. Um, and, and he's going to put together an offense that's able, to, that's able to, to perform consistently. The question is going to be the culture aspect of it. How will he address the culture? And I think he's already started to talk about the process of getting better. He didn't come in saying that this is a national championship team right away, which kind of made Willie Taggart have to retract on his words. Um, but he knows it's a process, and I think everyone around knows it's a process. And, and people should be excited about this. I'm excited about it because I absolutely love what he did at Memphis. Uh, and Florida State fans should be as well. Uh, any idea where Boston College is going and then any uh, reflections you might have on, I believe, Dabo in this five-year run at Clemson, five straight college football uh, playoff trips, of course, five straight ACC football titles. I don't believe he's lost a coordinator. Obviously, Brent Venable's on the defensive side. There's a report at ESPN as we speak that Clemson's co-offensive coordinator, Jeff Scott, is going to take the South Florida job. South Florida is replacing Charlie Strong, who got fired after three seasons. Um, you know, that's a, a big deal for South Florida, of course, but in a different way, a big deal for Clemson, given that staff stability has been such a huge part of uh, Clemson's success. Yeah, um, so, so the, on the Boston College thing first, uh, I, I have no idea where Boston College is going to go. The, the reports that I'm hearing from people who know the program well is that they're looking at uh, Al Washington, yeah. the, uh, the uh, linebackers coach at, at, uh, at Ohio State. Um, I, I, but I don't know. I don't know if they go with a 35-year-old guy who really hasn't been a coordinator, doesn't have head coaching experience, uh, but obviously played there. So, so I don't know. You know, if honestly, if I'm Boston College, I'm looking at a guy like Jeff Munkin at Army. I'm looking at a guy like Tony Reno, the head coach at Yale. Guys that have done it in that area are used to recruiting uh, a special type of player uh, and have had success as a head coach. Because I think that's a unique job. Um, so, so I'm looking at guys like that. If you go to the assistants, man, the list gets along quick. And I don't know that any are in front of, of any other. Um, other than Al Washington, that seems to be the name that keeps coming up. Uh, in terms of Jeff Scott, you're, you're right, uh, DG. Uh, Dabo has not lost a coordinator since Chad Morris left yeah. to take the SMU job, which is absolutely incredible. Is. The stability has been uh, incredible. And, and, and I think the loss of Jeff Scott's a big one. But then how many people does Jeff Scott take with him? Um, not necessarily, you know, he's not going to take Tony Elliott. He's not going to be able to pay him. He's not going to take Brent Venable. He's not going to be able to pay him. But does he take, you know, the, the GA that works with yeah. the quarterbacks? Does he take um, a position coach and give them a coordinator job? Does he take, does he take multiples uh, and, and elevate guys? That's kind of where you see the trickle-down effect happening. But, but look, there's nobody that deserves it more than Jeff Scott. He has coached a receiving group that has been the best in the country for years and years and years and years and years. I mean, constant first-round picks, well-coached guys, five-star guys that come in, work their tails off, and become better players uh, as they go in their careers. So he definitely deserves it. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that coordinator uh, position, if they just name Tony Elliott 
the coordinator or if they hire uh, somebody else and bring and, and give them that coordinator, that co-coordinator uh, title. But ultimately, you know, Jeff Scott's ability to block out the noise through the championship run, it's going to be interesting to see. And then obviously it's always interesting to see what happens uh, when they rename somebody for that job. For sure. Roddy Jones, ESPN and the ACC Network on Twitter at Roddy Jones 20 Thanks, as always, for your visits here on the David Glenn Show, and early happy holidays to you and yours. You got it, DG. I appreciate it. You got it. Right back at you. 1-800-849-2761. As the coaching carousel continues to spin, Eli Drinkwitz leaving App State for Missouri, Mike Norvell leaving Memphis, another conference champion for Florida State, Lane Kiffin leading Florida Atlantic, another conference champion for Ole Miss of the SEC. Arkansas is filling its vacancy with another guy known well in ACC and SEC country, former UNC offensive line coach Sam Pittman, more recently Georgia's offensive line coach, is taking the Arkansas job. And again, you could get from me or somebody else that you like or trust in the college football context, we could give you rankings conference by conference of better jobs, lesser jobs, and middling jobs. And... Among those that are available right now, Boston College in football is one of the harder jobs in the ACC. It's not a bad job, but it's not one of the better jobs, right? What do you look for? Recruiting base, recent success. Do kids believe they can win big there, right? Clemson, of course, yes. Even Florida State, though it's been down, you know, parents especially, but even kids, it was six years ago that Jimbo Fisher led the Seminoles to the national title. It's not like that was 100 years ago. So Clemson and Florida State are the best jobs, and you know Miami and Virginia Tech, depending on how you look at them, are good jobs, and then there's other middling jobs, and then there's really hard jobs. Duke and Wake Forest are often described as really hard jobs. Keep in mind that most of the vacancies being filled are hard jobs. Ole Miss is open again because it's a hard job. Arkansas is open again because it's a hard job. Missouri is open again because it's a hard job. And these guys, again, whatever you think about Lane Kiffin as a hired gun, always off to the next highest bidder, or around here, Eli Drinkwitz has some calling him best of the weekend for leading the Mountaineers to a 12-1 Sun Belt championship season in his what's going to be his only year as their head coach. He's off to Missouri. These guys are multiplying their income in Eli Drinkwitz's case four to five times what he makes at App State he'll make it Missouri Lane Kiffin same thing a whole lot more at Ole Miss than what he makes at Florida Atlantic Mike Norvell it might it's not going to be a quadrupling of his income but it's still going to be a big big raise going from Memphis to Florida State all these guys are group there were only five group of five uh, conference champions this weekend three of the five are moving on I mean, Miami of Ohio's head coach is a guy named Chuck Martin. It's his first winning season. He just won the MAC, the Mid-American Conference. It's his first winning season in six years. So nobody's beating his door down. Of the other four dudes that won Group of Five conference titles this Saturday, of the other four, three are leaving for Group of Five uh, Power Five jobs. And the fourth is actually an alum of Boise State, which doesn't mean he'll never leave. Scott Satterfield left App State eventually. But guys at their alma maters, it's, they're usually either more willing to stay longer or at least wait for the truly plum job. Like I had Arkansas fans tell me Brian Harson was leaving Boise State for Arkansas. And I'm like, y'all don't get it. A, it's his alma mater. B, yes, you can offer him more money. But 
He's at the place he played. He's 43 years old. He's cranking out, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 win seasons every year in a league he can continue to dominate, again, at his alma mater where he's beloved. Doesn't mean he'll never leave, but you're not leaving for one of the harder jobs in the SEC if you're smart. You know, Scott Satterfield waited for a mid-level ACC job to come open, the Louisville Cardinals. It's not one of the hardest jobs. It's not one of the best jobs in the ACC, but it's in the middle. And they have a lot of money to spend given their success in the athletic department in recent decades. Brian Harson wasn't leaving Boise State, his alma mater, for the Arkansas Razorbacks. You know, Sam Pittman's an assistant coach at Georgia. Yes, he was willing to run to Arkansas to take that job because they're giving him his first head coaching opportunity. Three of the four guys that just won Group of Five conference titles, all four got phone calls. Three of the four did leave. One is staying at his alma mater, at least for now. That's how the coaching carousel works, folks. The, the hired gun mentality usually wins out, if, especially if the guy thinks he can win at his next school. But even if he's not sure, and Eli Drinkwitz can't be sure that he'll win at Missouri, couldn't have been sure that he would win without Scott Satterfield's players a year or two or three or now from now at App State. When you're quintupling your income, Eli Drinkwitz could make more over the next three years and get fired at Missouri than he could have made if he stayed for 10 years at App State. That's the bottom line. So wait a minute, the worst case scenario is I get fired in three years, but I make more than $12 million and actually it'd be more than that given the buyout money. That's the worst case. If everything goes wrong, that's a pretty good deal. At most of these group of five schools, seriously, it would take you more than a decade to make a similar amount of money, and nine out of ten guys just aren't going to choose that path over the guaranteed mega millions that these power five schools are throwing around right now. 1-800-849-2761. It is a best and worst of the weekend Monday afternoon as we come at you live in almost 300 North Carolina cities and towns. We're coming back for more of your votes. We have a big announcement. The big tailgate tours final four we will unveil today. There are five and only five tailgate of the year honorees in the history of the big tailgate tour. There will be a sixth group that gets to add their name to that Hall of Fame caliber list. We'll give you the final four today, and then, of course, we'll pick a champion soon from those final four. As we come back to your phone calls, Mick Mixon is in the books on the NFL. Roddy Jones in the books on college football. You can chime in on the best or worst thing you saw in the sports universe this past weekend or follow up on one of the college hoops, NBA, college football, NFL, or other headlines of the day. 1-800-849-2761. Marvin Miller, Tory Holt, and Sebastian Ajo are also best of the weekends. Trey Jones and Duke, C.J. Bryson, NC State, Tony Bennett, and UVA among the best of the weekend from the college basketball world. The Chiefs, the Ravens, and the Niners among others in the NFL. LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma, among others, including App State, from the college football ranks. Your question and comment, your best and worst of the weekend can be next if you'll dial 1-800-849-2761 on The David Glenn Show. I don't want those damn dookies rooting for us. They've hated all year long. Let them go right on hate. If the situation were reversed, I would hope they would lose by 100. You're in fantasy land if you ever think NC State's going to make it back to the national championship game. So just forget that right now. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Keeping the peace in NC on the David Glenn Show. 
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Quick kind of sad note from the sports headlines as we come back to your phone calls. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that? What was the worst thing and what made it that? College football was in fine form. LSU crushed Georgia in the SEC title game. The Tigers, the number one seed in the college football playoff. Eddie O gets the Tigers where they've never been the college football playoff in his third full year on the job. Ohio State took a while but then did beat Wisconsin by double digits the 13 and 0 Buckeyes are the number two seed after winning the Big Ten title shout out to first year head coach Ryan Day everybody saw the talent the Buckeyes had Georgia quarterback the transfer Justin Fields is you know top five Heisman candidacy territory given his wonderful displays for the Buckeyes so far this season they have talent all over the roster they're going to continue that best in college football NFL pipeline. But that doesn't mean that it's automatically no Urban Meyer, no problem. That's what Ryan Day did, at least in his first year as the head coach of the Buckeyes. So congratulations to him. As we come to David in Welcome, North Carolina, you can follow at 1-800-849-2761. David has lion, cheating, corrupt, lawless, soulless Russia on his mind. The Russians were caught in the sports sense, cheating repeatedly. And they just got a four-year ban from international competition. That ban will include the Winter Olympics, the Summer Olympics, and other top-level international competitions. There are some athletes who, if they can prove they can clean, can still participate. But there will be no Russian flag. There will be no Russian anthem. There will be no Russian team officially at the next Summer Olympics or the next Winter Olympics. And I would assume the World Cup of soccer as well. Russia does have the right to appeal. And I, I feel like I'm living in one of those Orwellian 1984 type societies when I actually say these kinds of things out loud. Of course, Russia. And folks, the more you research this, like, like I beg you all, just follow the evidence and you'll see the mountain of evidence of how Ch Russia was repeatedly, not only were the athletes doping and cheating on purpose, you know, not just a stained hunk of meat that they ac accidentally consumed. It was their supervisors were cheating, and it was their scientists were cheating, and it was their laboratory technicians were cheating, and it was their governmental officials were supervising the cheating. Like, it was as bad as anything in the history of international sports. And yet, of course, because it's 2019 and we're living in a George Orwellian 1984 society, Russia actually says... Our position remains unchanged. These sanctions are inadequate, illogical, and excessive. I mean, it's just, I can't believe that we live in a society. This is the information age, right? That means we all have more access to more information than ever before, thanks to the Internet and other wonderful creations. And yet, you have people who are told, well, no, don't believe your eyes. Don't believe what you see or hear. Up is down and down is up. And drooly idiots will believe that stuff. Russia's Olympic Committee president actually said these sanctions are inadequate, illogical, and excessive. Even though, seriously, this is the international sports equivalent of getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar repeatedly. There's like 12 hands in the cookie jar and photographic evidence and fingerprint evidence and, you know, test tube evidence. You name it, they've got it all. 
And yet that propaganda is still emanating from that lion cheat and corrupt, lawless, soulless country. It is unbelievable that some people still believe that nonsense. 1-800-849-2761. David, and welcome North Carolina as we welcome you into the program. Clemson is 13-0 and, of course, in. They were dominant again against UVA on Saturday night. That's five straight trips to the playoff for Dabo Sweeney. Tigers, of course, have won two of the last three national titles and five straight ACC titles. Oklahoma, shout out to our friend Lincoln Riley and Ruffin McNeil, third straight trip to the college football playoff. They beat Baylor in overtime for another Big 12 title. The 12-1 Sooners, this is the most star-studded Final Four ever. We haven't had three undefeateds and a 12-1. That, that combined record, what is that, 51-1? and one? Quick math, 51-1. and one. That is the best in the six-year history of this relatively new format. Something to look forward to for college football fans as we have smaller bowls and our teams participating in some cases leading up to those two semifinal matchups that are must-see TV. David, welcome to the program. Go right ahead. Uh, hey, Dave. Uh, I'm just going to comment on Russia's long history of uh, using performance drugs yeah. for athletes. And a good example was when the Soviet Union dismantled. A lot of their coaches no longer had jobs, so uh, some of those went over to China and coached the uh, Olympic uh, women's swim team for China. And the Chinese women who four years early in the Olympics basically were not even competitive, uh, they... Uh, uh, all of a sudden, uh, we're winning all the gold medals and uh, all the best swimmers from around the world couldn't couldn't keep up. So I just want to yeah, no, that that's a, a that's a very good point. In what, fact, what their history was. Yeah, I think the three. I mean, there might be more that I'm forgetting, but in my lifetime, the three worst cheaters in in the history of international sports are Russia, China, and then in the old days, East Germany. Remember, there was there was the divided Germany. You get you young guys aware of this, or you just think of one Germany. Thanks <laughs> yeah. for thanks for listening and calling, David. So there was East Germany, the commies, and then there was West Germany, and they were trying to be progressive and, and modernize. And now, of course, there is one united. Right, there was a Germany. wall, Berlin. Yeah. The yeah, other worst all. cheaters, like I'm not talking about the individual athlete. We see that in football and basketball and baseball and they get busted and they get suspended. I'm not even talking about Lance Armstrong, although he had plenty of help and other fellow cheaters as he was winning the Tour de France and other things. I'm talking about like systemic so that it's the athletes and it's the government and it's the supervisor of sport, you know, the, the, the guy spouting that nonsense from Russia about how, you know, this, this is a miscarriage of justice. Folks, I'm telling you, it is, it is as bad as anything I've ever seen, and it is so well documented that you'd have to be truly a cult member to believe that it is not true. I know that happens in America nowadays and elsewhere, but you really have to turn off your critical thinking brain to believe that Russia is the victim of some kind of international sports conspiracy here. East Germany was the worst ever uncovered. Now, this Russian example, four-year ban coming down today, is also on the short list of the worst we've ever seen. Back then, of course, information was less available. Again, no internet, no social media. You, got to, you had to rely on newspapers and stuff. Science was not as advanced, right? So catching people and proving it was trickier, and just international travel was less advanced. You name it, it was harder to catch and prove 
international doping style wrongdoing. So you would see these East German athletes at international competitions, and to the naked eye back then, it was like those people are robots. Like, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how they're supplementing their blood or their heart or whatever. I can't teach you how to dope. I can't give you all the terminology. But those folks ain't doing it the way those other folks are doing. And, of course, they won a lot of gold medals, and they dominated some Olympics. And in certain sports, they were truly the world's best, East Germany. And in the moment, you're like, isn't there any way to catch these lion cheating commies? And the answer, for the most part, was no. And then it was years later, as some people with guilty consciences, consciences who had, in some cases, evidence to show the systematic government-inspired cheating. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't tainted meat. It was on purpose. We're going to cheat, Lance Armstrong style. We're going to cheat, and we don't care. We're just going to cheat and try to get away with it as long as we can. And sure enough, East Germany cheated and won a lot and got away with it for a long time, eventually exposed. Today is the four-year ban that really has been building for a long time as stack by stack, mountain by mountain, the evidence continues to prove that Russia is just a lion, cheating, corrupt, lawless, soulless country as it applies to sports and otherwise as well. Thankfully, the people at the World Anti-Doping Agency are not ignorant, not gullible, not naive, not stupid, and not members of cult. So they follow the evidence, and they came to their guilty verdict, and a four-year ban is a pretty significant sanction, although I wouldn't have minded seeing it even longer than that. 1-800-849-2761. Our big tailgate tour final four announcement on the other side. A last call for phone calls on the other side. Best and worst of the weekend. More college football, more NFL. The Panthers were a worst of the weekend. The Blue Devils, the Wolfpack, and the Virginia Cavaliers were a best of the weekend in college hoops. The App State Mountaineers were a best of the weekend for winning the Sun Belt title. And their head coach, Eli Drinkwitz, has gotten best of the weekend votes for his sensational single season in Boone, but also worst of the weekend votes for leaving for Missouri less than a month after telling us on this show that he was hoping to sustain success right there in Boone with the Mountaineers and less than a year from saying that he considered the App State job one of the 25 best in America and anything but the stepping stone that it actually turned out to be for him. 1-800-849-2761. Last call for phone calls. And the four finalists in our 2019 Big Tailgate Tour Tailgate of the Year competition. That's next on The David Glenn Show. The great difference between sport and capital E Entertainment and capital S Sport is that we don't know the outcome. And that feeling of uncertainty, positively or negatively, is unique. We are quoting Bob Ryan the way I would quote, you know, Aristotle or Confucius. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Oh, Brian in Greensboro has a good one on his mind. It may be from the silver screen, but probably more evidence of Russian cheating. They're in the sin bin, international sports-wise, for the next four years after the World Anti-Doping Agency pounded them, deservedly so. 
after a mountain of evidence against them. As we go to Brian, let me spit out the four finalists in the Big Tailgate Tours Tailgate of the Year competition. You ready for this, Darren Vaught? We have collected the ballots. Intern Will has voted. You have voted. I have voted. The others of our assembled cast of dozens that travel the state and visit a college football game somewhere in North Carolina each Saturday for the most part from last August until the ACC title game in Charlotte where we were on Saturday. Keep in mind there are only five tailgate of the year honorees ever. Steve Young and the Upper Deckers at NC State. These are past winners not to be confused with this year's finalists. Jimmy Roster and the corner crew at ECU. Judd Huffman and the school bus tailgate at App State and Charles Epps in the Eagle Alley tailgate at North Carolina Central. They're joined by the 7 a.m. tailgate guys at Elon. Those are the five that can proudly wave that banner above their tailgate each and every week as they continue in the spirit of tailgating. The Elon guys are in the Final Four again this year. Aren't they there like every year? The Elon 7 a.m. tailgate third guys, appearance. David Oakley, Brian Martindale, David Rich, and Mike Cross, they're friends of the program. Uh, that, for the record, had nothing to do with their status as semifinalists. We are straight shooters here at the David Glenn Show. We don't do it the lion, cheat, and corrupt, lawless, soulless Russian way. We do it our way, the American way, the better way. Elon 7 a.m. tailgate is one of the four finalists. Brandon Freeland, I'm sorry, Brendan Freeland, of Greensboro and the Fish Frying Aggies of North Carolina A&T, also a semifinalist. Tim and Diane Hensley of UNC, also a semifinalist. And last but not least, these are in no particular order for the record, Adam Carpenter, Dan Newcomer, and the Touchdown Trailer Tailgate at Wake Forest. They are also one of the final four. So, Darren, unless Elon wins again, and we've never had a multi-year Tailgate of the Year winner, we like spreading the wealth a little bit unofficially. Uh, we would have a new school represented, right? Because only five schools have had a tailgate of the year honoree, State, ECU, App State, Central, and Elon. Unless the Elon guys win again, either A&T, UNC, or Wake Forest will have their first tailgate of the year banner flying somewhere in or near their parking lots. Right. And that's not day. to say that those schools haven't had worthy no. No. tailgates in the past they just happen to, to, to have not won one yeah yet. the reality is steve all the guys who have been tailgate of the year when we go back to nc state steve young and his crew could win tailgate of the week anytime we drop by jimmy roster and the corner crew at ecu anytime we drop by same with the other tailgate of the year honorees we just liked variety is the spice of life darren we like to spin things around a little bit brian in greensboro let me get your phone call in because it is a creative one welcome to the program go right ahead Hey, David, I just want to uh, let everyone remember that uh, we have video evidence of Russian cheating. All right. From the from the 19, late 80s or early 90s, I can't remember, uh, Rocky IV with uh, Ivan Drago. That's right. Because what wasn't, uh, wasn't Rocky Balboa, wasn't Sylvester Stallone, like, beating up the sides of meat the way he was in the original Rocky, whereas Drago... There was some kind of steroid enhancement machine in there. They were getting all high-tech, which is legal, but it certainly looked like a steroid-type program that Drago was on. Is that documented in Rocky IV? Yes, it is. Do they get into the needles and stuff? I mean, he's allowed yes, to use did. the advanced curl machines, but yes, he's, not, he's not, not allowed to have the steroid, uh, the needles and the steroid additions. Yeah, Rocky did it the old-fashioned way, right? He was chopping down trees and stuff. 
Uh, that's the American way. They're lying, soulless, cheating, no good, rotten sports bastards. And we do it the Rocky way. And we won that boxing match, didn't we? I think the way the Rocky script went, saving tens of millions of lives, because otherwise Russia and the United States must would have had to go to war. But because Drago and Rocky settled, settled it in the squared circle, boxing style, I think we avoid, avoided a major world war. Do you remember the end of that movie, Darren? Fly can change, and you can change. <laughs> We all can change. <laughs> That's my best Rocky Balboa. But, I, you know, the world became a better place in that moment. The world is yeah. not a better place when the Russians are cheating at the Olympics and everywhere else every single time they're out. I'm glad they got caught. I'm glad they got punished. That, for me, is the best of the weekend. And keep in mind, again, just because Putin said we didn't do it, the sports organizations did not just buy that like Walking Dead-style zombies. The evidence suggested they did do it, so they were found guilty and punished accordingly. Final thoughts and TV picks. That's how it works in a sane world, folks. Follow the evidence. We're back after this on the David Glenn Show. You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to good. the show. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. Thanks to Mick Mixon and Roddy Jones for dropping by. TV picks tonight led by Giants-Eagles ESPN on Monday Night Football. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.